you want to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'd like to ask you a question. How do you respond when people say, hey, how you doing? And immediately everybody goes, what? Fine, right? And that gets you by and you just kind of cruise. You can say fine and that way you can avoid having to even think about how you possibly are doing. And it, it avoids even some sort of extended conversation about what truly might be taking place in your life. But you don't want to stop and ask, how are you really doing? Let's get beyond kind of that defense mechanism that we all kind of put up and we just throw out that little word, fine. How are you really doing? I, now that you've, you've even stopped and even considered the question, what really is going on in your heart and your mind? And you know, I think if a lot of us were to answer that question truthfully and honestly, it wouldn't be like, fine, it'd be like, well, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm operating on the tyranny of the urgent. I feel like I'm actually weak. I'm, I'm fearful. I'm frustrated. Some of us might say, I, I feel like I'm, I'm dying on the vine. And yet, I've got a schedule that I've got to keep at it, and I've got to keep working and keep moving forward. And really, we actually like the idea of busyness. In fact, if people go, well, yeah, you're fine, but how are you? And like, we'd say, well, I'm busy. And busyness is kind of like a national value. If you're busy, you're what? You're important. If you're busy, you've got things going on, people needing your time and attention. And, and we, we actually find our security, and it's somewhat validating. In fact, it's, it's, our, it's our identity if we're busy doing things and, and working hard. And let me, let me say something up front here. There is nothing wrong with being busy and being after the work that God has put before you. But what I would like to do in these next three weeks is address something that I think is of critical importance. And that is, how do you and I truly find God restoring our souls in the midst of a busy, oftentimes a chaotic life? Chuck Swindoll, in a book uh, that he, uh, he wrote that was called um, Intimacy with the Almighty, recounts this scene where there's... This guy comes up and, and approaches him, and he just, he just starts just kind of lay, just laying it all there before him and telling him what he's really thinking. And, and so this guy comes up, and, and he actually says this. He, just, he says, nobody know, around me knows this, but I'm operating on fumes. I'm lonely. I'm hollow. I'm shallow. I'm enslaved to a schedule that never lets up. And as he says these words, he just starts breaking down. He started sobbing and he started heaving as he's just crying. He's just like, nobody knows this around me, but this is what's really going on. I'm lonely. I am enslaved to a schedule that never lets up. I'm operating on fumes. And how many of us, that is actually somewhat normal. I wish I could tell you that it was different for me. I always just wake up, got tons of energy, tackle the day, put in your 12 or whatever hours, run a meeting at night and show up and, and just can engage at night with a family. But you know what? I'd have to tell you that there are a lot of times that I can relate to the man heaving and weeping. 
slave to a schedule that never lets up. You've got the tyranny of the urgent. You've got pressures pulling you apart. You're going in all sorts of different directions. And friends, I do not think I am alone because as I talk with people in our church family, this is pretty common. I am wiped out. I am worn out. There is little semblance of God's shalom, peace, rest in my life. And you know what? If you and I do not learn the critical lesson that is found in the passage we're going to look at today, this becomes a way of life. People ask us how we're doing. We're doing fine. When in reality, we are dying inside and we don't even know how to be revived. And yet we find ourselves going through a schedule and going through motions and, and responding and doing our jobs and trying to be there for the family. But in, in reality, we are dying. We are rusting out. We are burning out. And unless we take a careful look at what we're going to look at here in just a few minutes and remember the truth, then living life on fumes is a reality. In fact, our life is going to be similar to a hamster in a cage. We're going to be running around on a little exercise wheel trying to chew out of our cage, and that's about life. You know, this scene, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, is so very familiar. As soon as you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know all about that. I could tell you the story like shut my Bible. And you know what? It's so very familiar. But the problem is, the truth that is conveyed by Jesus in this passage is so quickly forgotten by believers, the very ones he intended for. And so let's just take a look at it. In verse 38, we find the scene, Jesus in the midst of his ministry. And in verse 38, as they were traveling along, he entered a village. Jesus at, was traveling, that was his deal. He would go from city to city. He would be teaching. He would be doing miracles. He was investing in his men. And he entered a village. This particular village that he entered is actually the home of the, the village where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. This particular village is Bethany. Bethany is two miles east of Jerusalem. Okay, so it's really not very far away. It was just on the east of the Mount of Olives. It was just a kind of a quick walk to Jerusalem and back. And they make their way into Bethany. And notice what happens. As they enter a village, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Here's, here is Martha. And Martha sees Jesus and the guys coming in. And it's like these maternal in- instincts just kick in. She sees that they're weary, they're tired. What an honor it would be to have Jesus at your home. Perhaps she had encountered Jesus and his disciples on other occasions, but she welcomes them. Her heart goes out. Please come, and I want you to come to my home. She hasn't been thinking like, oh, you know, I've got this huge meal and spread and I've been waiting for you for days. No, she sees the need and she wants to meet it. We have, we have people like this in our church and they're huge blessings. A need rises up. Children need to be fed. There is a need. Someone's in sick. There's a person in our hospital. And there's people that just, just drop and respond and make it happen. I, I've been to hospitals to visit someone in our church and only to find out that there's already someone in our church that's already been there or is there presently ministering, praying, talking, encouraging. That's how, that's how Martha is. She sees Jesus and, her, and, and his group of men and she welcomes them into her home. And, and Martha is not alone. She has a sister, Mary. And look at, look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. 
So here we have a scene. Jesus comes into the home and and Martha invites him in. There's Mary. And and as so typical of Jesus, I actually think these are probably some of the times that the, the men love the most. Is the times where Jesus would just sit down and talk. They would listen. They would engage. He would give them hope. He would answer their questions. They didn't get that parable that, they, that Jesus just laid out. He'd explain it to them again and again until they finally understood. He taught them. He made them made distinctions. He helped them exercise discernment. He developed maturity. He gave them perspective. And the men would just gather around Jesus and listen. And, and notice that Mary, where is Mary? She is seated at the feet of Jesus. Now, I, just, I read this and I just said this, but you know, I didn't notice anybody getting too alarmed by that. You know, if this was a Jewish audience 2,000 years ago, like, whoa, people would be all alarmed. Some guys would stand up like, whoa, that's wrong. Because, you see, uh, it would be totally inappropriate to have a woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Uh, it wasn't, in Judaism, it wasn't wrong for a woman to learn and to learn from the Torah and the law. They just preferred that that happened at a distance. They really didn't want the women getting really close to Jesus, and, and, or close to a rabbi, and to have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, why that would be like something had never been seen before. They'd be breaking a huge social moor. And, and yet there she is. And she's soaking it all in. And if you want the posture of a learner, someone who really desires to learn from Jesus and to hear from him, you'll find it right there, Mary being seated at the feet of Jesus. That's what she's doing. Perhaps in her heart and her mind, she's just thinking, the nearness of my God is my good. Now, this is all taking place. Mary has sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha has welcomed them. And look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Did you see that? You see, Martha started off with such great intentions. Jesus, men, come, come I, I want to welcome you to our home. But she, she became distracted. The word literally means to be pulled apart, to be pulled in different directions. You see, she, she had the heart and the intent of making this a, a blessing and, a, and a, just a wonderful time for the, the Lord himself and, and for his men, but she became distracted with all her preparations. I mean, think of it. If all of a sudden you have, you know, 13 other people, and, and these are apostles. I mean, some of these guys are fishermen. They're probably large. They probably had big appetites. It was kind of written all over them. It's kind of like inviting the football team over. and like, whoa, what do we got in the freezer, you know? And she is in the midst of trying to prepare a very good meal. I mean, she's probably peeling the potatoes, you know, and she is getting the things arranged. Maybe she made a quick stop at the market, picked up some vegetables, got some meat. She's cooking. She's starting to bang the pots and plants. She's start pans. She's fussing with the flowers. She's thinking about the table. Who's going to sit where? Do I got enough stuff? And she is just kind of like like Thanksgiving on steroids, right? You know, I mean, have you seen that? You're just flying all over the place, and you're just trying to get everything to happen. And and you know, she kind of looks there, and and there's and there's Mary, you know, like Mary's. His sister, right? And Mary's sitting there, and, and, and Martha just can't seem to get, get the attention of Mary. I'm, I'm sure she tried the normal ploys, such as, okay, you ladies know what these are, right? Like, <coughs> you know, like clearing your throat, you know, making some sort of noises. Or like, I'd get that if I could, but my hands are a little busy, right? Things like that. And if that's not working, you start clanging things around or, or just drop something like a pot. 
everybody jumps back. What's, what's that? And you see, and there's like this tornado of activity going on here in the kitchen here. And, and Mary is like oblivious to it. And Martha, Martha is, is, is distracted, the text says, with all her preparations. But she doesn't leave it just there in distraction. I want you to see what takes place in verse 40. So you see, she's moved from the point of just welcoming Jesus and just glad that he's in her home. But she's distracted with all her preparations and verse 40. And she came up to him and said, get your seatbelt on, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. I mean, do you know how tense that would have been? I mean, this would be the time like when you're visiting your relatives and someone makes some sort of statement like that, like, it's time to go, and you leave, right? Because all of a sudden, Martha comes charging out. I mean, can't you see steam coming out? Maybe, you know, Jesus is right here. She's going to talk to Jesus, but who's in front of Jesus? It's Mary. So maybe, you know, maybe she actually like... And she doesn't even look at her sister. She's not talking to her sister. She's not looking. And notice what she's doing. She tells the Lord what to do. In fact, there's something I want you to see when you and I get so distracted about all the different things in our life. We get pulled in different directions. Well, the first thing I want you to see is, is you lose focus. And you, you lose, when you lose your focus, it causes you to lose sight of who Jesus is and how much he cares for you. Don't think like, oh, that Martha, that, that's just kind of an isolated case. Uh-uh. This is you and me. More often than we want to give recognition to you. Notice what she says. She says, Lord, you, do you not care? You know what Lord means, don't you? It's, it's master. It's, it's, it's the term of reverence for God. Lord, do you not care? Do you, it, do you not really care about me? You see, what happens when we get so busy and so distracted and we lose our focus off of Christ, we come to a point where we start to think that the Lord himself, Jesus, actually doesn't care for us. It's like he's abandoned us. We, we start to feel distant from God because we got so much coming out, coming after us. And she starts to question, Lord, do you care? Do you really love me? The first thing that you find is, is that you start, to, you start to question, does God really love me in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my loneliness, in the midst of my hurt, my pain, my difficulties, my troubled relationships? Lord, do you not care? Now, let me show you something else that we can find here from Martha. Not only does she, she start to lose focus on how much Jesus loves her, but notice then she actually starts to resort to self-pity. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? She's come to a point where she thinks it's all up to her. She's, she's kind of like, she just doesn't even understand what's going on be, around her. She thinks that it's all up to her. She starts resorting to self-pity. And friends, that's what happens. We, when we get our focus off of Jesus Christ, when we rarely find times of being with him, we start questioning God's love, and then we start resorting to self-pity. And we start having this 
party that just starts going round and round and it starts swirling and it puts us in a downward spiral and we feel low, discouraged, depressed. And let me tell you why. It's because our eyes have lost focus of Christ. And that's where she's at. She's like, Lord, look at me. I have to do everything. And she's resorting to self-pity. And let me show you something else what happens when you and I get pulled apart and distracted by all that's taking place in our life. Our loss of focus leads us to become upset with others. Look what she says. Then tell her to help me. Can you, can you believe it? Then tell her to help me. She has come to the point where she's actually directing Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, the God of the universe, and she's giving a command, then tell her to help me. She is so upset with her sister. And, friends, this is what happens. In the midst of all of our busyness, we lose our focus off of Jesus Christ, and we come to a point where our relationships start to deteriorate. If you are finding that your marriage has become a cold war zone, if you're finding that there's trouble relating with your kids or your kids, you are kids and you are like having difficulties with your parents, how are you doing with the Lord in terms of just being able to focus and spend time with him? Well, for Mary, Mary seated at the feet of Jesus, but for Martha, she is coming unglued. And I want you to see, I want to see how masterfully Jesus handles this situation. And friends, please do not forget what Jesus has to say because this is critical to your well-being. Look at Jesus. But the Lord answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know, I tried to think, how would I respond to a situation like that? You would almost think like, Martha comes charging in, Jesus stand up like, hey, what are you thinking, lady? And put her in her place like, whoa, uh-uh. You know what? This is, this is how you and I are to function at our best in dealing with difficulties and difficult people and difficult situations. Instead of like exploding, Jesus very calmly, in fact, he says her name twice, Martha, Martha. It's like it's having a calming effect. Whoa, Martha, whoa. Well, we're spinning way out of control. Martha, Martha. And then look what he says. He says, you are worried and bothered about so many things. He identifies the real problem. You're consumed with these worries and all these things about is the side dish going to segue with the main main dish that you're making? And you're just consumed with these things. And it's distracting you and it's destroying your peace. And Martha, Martha, you are bothered and worried about so many things. There's only one thing that is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. See, there's only one thing that is absolutely necessary. And you know what it is? It is the good part. Well, what is the good part? Let me tell you what the good part is. The good part is God's presence himself. That is the absolute good part of life. 
being able to relate to him, to enjoy him, to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to experience his peace and his perspective. Mary has chosen. It is a choice, friends. Have you figured out that like your schedule doesn't automatically just prioritize itself in the right priorities? In fact, there is a whole email system and a whole bunch of people that want to plan your life for you. You've got to make a choice, a choice to engage the good part, a choice to engage the Lord. If you don't, if it is not a priority, if you don't say, don't say, I am going to make habits or patterns of engaging the Lord, it'll never happen. And you're going to continue living in this life of life on fumes, like a hamster in a cage, just working on my little exercise wheel and going around. That is going to be life for you. Unless you learn, like Mary, from Jesus to engage the good part. Have you ever uh, watched um, guys or gals that train tigers or lions? It's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. Like the circus rolls in town and they kind of have these tigers and lions. And they have like a lion trainer. And they have some standard equipment. They have the sidearm, the gun makes a lot of sense for me. If I was going to go into a cage with a tiger, I'd want a nice gun that really worked well. Okay? I mean, that just makes a lot of sense. And then they have the whip, right? And that, that also kind of makes sense. You know, like, whew, the tiger's looking a little close. Get back. You know, if that doesn't work. Okay, I told you. You know, okay. They got the gun, and they got that whip. But then they have this, it's so, it's puzzling. But they, they bring, like, a stool or a, or a chair with four legs. And they bring that into the arena. Like, what are you going to do? Like, Sit there on there and like look at the lion's teeth or the tiger, like open up. I mean, are you going to sit on that stool? What? But you know, the people that train these wild cats, they say that the, the stool is their most effective tool. It's the one thing that is absolutely necessary to train these wild animals. And this is what they, this is the reasoning of what they, why they think this is so important. They take that stool, and if you've seen this, they thrust it in the face of that wild cat, that lion or that tiger. And the thought is, is that those four points of that stool, it has a, like a docile, paralyzing effect on these wild cats. They're trying to focus on all four points. And, they, and as they're doing this, it puts them in a position where they can be trained and follow directions. It takes them and makes them docile and, and rather passive by thrusting that stool in their face. Now, life is kind of like a four-legged stool. And there's all these things that are thrust in our face. We've got responsibilities with our family and friends. We've got, we perhaps got a, a job that's very demanding. And then we perhaps have ministry responsibilities. And, and we have relationships. And, and there's some other difficulty. And our car's broken again. And our dishwasher's overflowing and broken. And I mean, we've got all these. And it's like what happens is, it, is that life starts to have a paralyzing effect on us. It's like a stool being thrust in the face of a cat. Friends, that is, that is the nature of life. And we will be somewhat paralyzed by our circumstances. Haven't, haven't you noticed that where you have all these different things and some of them are very troubling that are after you and it's like, I can't hardly do anything. And it's really where you're at. What do we need? What do we need in the midst of all of our busyness and our difficulty? Friends, we need what Jesus calls the good part. You see, there's only one thing that is necessary, and what is it? The good part. Let me tell you how you and I think. 
if we could just get our circumstances a little bit better and get some of these things cleared up, then we're going to be able to experience the peace and the rest of God. And that is a myth. We have gotten groomed to focus on circumstances. Like, if our circumstances are good, we're good. Our circumstances are bad, we're bad. And yes, when we face difficulty and hardship, yes, it's heartbreaking and it hurts. But we need to find the good part in the midst of difficulty, despite our circumstances. And you'd say, well, how are you going to do that? It is what Mary did. She made the choice. Do you see that? Mary has chosen the good part. We all have that big stool in front of our face, problems, situations, demands on our time. The question is, will you make the choice for the good part, which is dwelling in God's presence himself? And friends, see, that's what God is calling to each one of us. You know, before we knew Christ, we walked in isolation. We were self-centered, self-occupied, doing life on our own. But how many of us could stand up and give a testimony like, I was empty, I was shallow, shallow, life was meaningless. There are probably at least a few of you that were suicidal apart from life in Christ. That is common because life is so empty. And yet when we come to place our faith in Christ as Savior and as Lord, the one who has paid for our sins and risen from the grave, he gives us life. It's not just a plan of salvation like, yeah, check, I'd like that plan. But it's an entering of a relationship with a person. And we experience the joy of knowing the living God. And there is elation. In fact, the scriptures call it a first love because we know Christ. It's kind of like, uh, for those of you who are married, I see we have lots of married people today here. Remember, uh, remember when you were like dating? Remember like, how, how exciting it was to just be around each other and how you could really reorient your schedule. Like, you didn't realize how much free time you had, but you made it happen, you know? Like, do you want to do dinner Friday? And yes, you had three other things, but sure, and you cancel those things because you want to be there, and, and you, you love spending time. Now, now for instance, like, uh, you ladies, did you just, like, you noticed, like, your future husband, and you just saw him, like, mowing his yard one day, and you're like, oh, that's the man for me. Or like, he's really good with the calculator. I just like how he organizes his papers. Was that it? I don't think so. And I know it certainly was. He knows how to wash his clothes and do those sort of things. It wasn't that. Or he was a sharp dresser. And then, and then you, you men, you remember, was it, was it really that she just made some sort of really awesome macaroni salad that you just had one day? Was that what you're attracted to? Now, I have to say that when you enter food in the equation with guys, life gets complicated. Okay. But it wasn't just, the lady can cook, and I can eat. We were meant to be together. I, I know it was, I know that it wasn't it. Now, you guys, do you remember, man, you could, whoa, all of a sudden you could hop out of the car, and you got the door. Do you remember those days, right? And you, and you found it. You could talk about so much, man. You talk about things you'd never even heard of before. No cruel thing, let me tell you about it. Oh, yeah. You were talking about things you didn't even understand. But you were just like, man, I'm with this gal. I can't believe it's laughing. This is great. And then, you know, of course, you get married, and then, you know, what happens, of course. Uh, tragically, this is what happens in many, hopefully not most, but possible. All that initial love and joy of just being together, it just starts to dissipate. And, you know, you got things going on at work, and maybe you have a child or two or four or 12 or whatever, and, and life gets really busy. And, 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 you know, you start to just kind of coexist. 
And there could be some tension, of course, that develops when you're doing like this. And it could be like a cold war zone, you know. And you're just kind of floating out there. You know, if you want to add life to a dying marriage, remember the first love. And go back to the things that you did at first and re-engage. Let me tell you something about marriage. It generally is only as good as its communication. Right? Little communication, probably not going too well. You got a lot of communication, talking about things. That doesn't mean you don't have struggles and trials and problems. But you're talking. You're engaged. You probably have what is called health. And friends, the same is true with God. He desires us to relate to him, to know him, to experience the joy of the relationship. Friends, remember when you first became a Christian and the joy of just being with God, like, whoa, God is awesome. This is great. I am forgiven. You'd be praying. Everything you read in the Bible was fresh and true, and it was like life-changing and life-altering. In fact, you probably were guilty of like, man, did you see this? Yeah, that's John 3.16. That is a great verse. Yeah, but, I mean, have you really seen But then after year after year, you just start going through the motions. Church. Oh, yeah, I should read my Bible. I'll read a verse. Uh, I've heard that before. And we just kind of get into blase. Friends, one thing is needful. For you and I to sit down to experience the joy of sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. And, friends, I, I I just want to tell you, life is short. It is difficult. But there is a good part, and that is learning to relate with Christ. It is the good part in life. It's the good part in death. It's the good part in good times. It is the good part in hard times. In sickness and well-being. In times of plenty and the times of little. The good part is being with Christ. It shall not be taken away from you. You can be stripped down. You can have difficult circumstances. But to know Christ and to be in his presence, that can never be taken away from you. So you might be thinking, well, uh, gee, Grant, are you, uh, are you advocating that maybe I just should just lay on my back for the rest of my life and just kind of do nothing, never serve? No. You know, like sometimes I think Martha gets a bad rap, right? We all want to be Mary's, right? We don't want to be Martha. In fact, Martha actually gives in John chapter 11 one of the very best descriptions, theologically sound, of who Jesus really is. And Martha also is a woman who knows how to serve and can do it. And we've got to ask, well, I don't want to be like Martha, so I'm just going to be a, a Mary. And I'll, I want the other Marthas to get around me and serve me. Actually, this is how it works, friends. You see, from a life of devotion, when we have devotion, serving will follow. If you read this in context, in Luke chapter 10, you know, the whole, all the law is summed up that we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's what he says in verse 27. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then he goes on to tell us about the good Samaritan. You see, let me tell you, when you and I love the Lord, when we're relating to him, we've got good communication. From that will flow a heart of service. Please don't get that backwards. Like, I'll just serve God and that equates to love. Uh Uh-uh. We love the Lord and from the overflow of such a life, we serve him. And so, friends, this is the message. We cannot let much activity keep us from what is most important. And this is what I I want so bad for all of us. 
that you and I develop regular patterns of going to God, who is the good part. Going to God in, in prayer. Taking time to, to read his word. Some of you Christians are going to hear thousands of sermons in your life. Don't just use that as a time to rest my body and I'll wait till this is over. Use this as a time to draw near to God. And you know what the promise is? He will draw near to you. If you don't have a plan to read the word, guess what? You will not do it. So just find something. Read a psalm a day. Uh, The next book that we're going to be studying as a church is the book of Ephesians. It's got six chapters. There's seven days in a week. If you read a chapter a day, you would be in great shape and you'll be learning from the Lord. And when you come, this is how you approach God. It's like you're reading, you're thinking about what you're reading, you're praying, you're talking to God, and you're responding to his truth. That's what we want to do. So I want to encourage you, find some times where you can be in the word, you can be talking to God, and experiencing his peace and his power. But it is the good part, and it shall not be taken away from you. This is my plea. And just imagine if this was true of our whole church, that we made the good part the priority in our life. How our lives would be different, filled with fullness, and even in the midst of busyness and difficulty, we would be experiencing the joy and the peace and the perspective of God. And you know, friends, guess what's coming? Fall's coming. All of our schedules are going to be kicked into overdrive. Back to teaching, back to school, work projects, more, more stuff with our kids. If you and I do not make the choice now that we're going to start making patterns of engaging God, even if it's just for a minute before that next meeting, this is all going to go away and we're all going to go back to the hamster cage and we're going to live life on fumes. And it does not need to be that way. God wants us to experience his fullness. So we cannot let much activity keep us from what is most important. I read the true story of a a mom and her son living in the World War II era. And they had an especially close relationship. Uh, Probably a great reason why is because um, the boy's dad had died, what we would call prematurely. And so it was just really mom and her son. And they had an extremely close relationship. They'd they'd listen to music together. Uh, You know, this is back in the time where would people do that? They would read to each other. They just enjoyed being each other's presence. But, of course, the boy grew up to be a young man. And, and at church one day, he noticed this cute gal. And you know how this all works out, don't you? Next thing you know, we're sitting by the cute gal. And then, we, uh, and then we're taking her out. And we're spending money we don't have. And we're talking about things we don't understand. And, and eventually, they, um, they got married. And... Um, they had a problem. It was like, man, this is Chicago. Uh, to find housing with no money was very difficult. And so the, the mom makes this really gracious gesture. She says, listen, you know, I know that times are tough. There's not good housing. What, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to live in our home. I'm going to go to the second story. I'm going to set up an apartment. I'll live up there. And you and your new bride, you can have a whole bottom floor. All, all I'd ask is that we just, we just be able to spend just a little bit of time together. Uh, that we just don't find that we just drift apart. It's like, oh, well, Mom, of course. You, you know how much I love you. and you, Oh, this is, that would be great. Uh, man, I can't believe you're doing this. And, and so they did. And they, they moved in. And, and the first few weeks, you know what? 
the son and the mom, they actually spent, you know, like two, three different times a week. They'd, they'd be talking and, and engaging and having those conversations. And, but, of course, work got busy and, you know, I get married and things are taking place there. And, and, and then the times became less and less frequent. In fact, apparently for weeks, it would be just kind of like, see mom, so you're like, hey, hey, mom, got to go. And, and, and it would go like that for weeks. Well, you know, son's kind of feeling a little bad about that. And yet, you know, he's busy. He's got a lot going on. And then mom's birthday comes. And so the son's like, oh, okay, I got it. So he goes and he, he buys his mom this really nice dress. And he, he takes it up and presents it to his mom. And, and uh, mom, I got you something for your birthday. And she, she opens it up and it's, it's this beautiful dress. And she goes, oh, oh, thank you, son. That, oh, that's, that's so very nice of you. And, you know, son, you see, they, they spend a lot of time together. They, they know each other. And like, what, mom? Mom, what, don't you like it? No, no, son, I, I like it. It's, it's my color. Well, mom, no, I, I can tell that something's wrong here. If you, if you don't like it, you know, the, the lady said I could bring it back. I've got the sales slip. No, no, son, that's fine. It's fine. And then, mom, what's wrong? Mom, what, what's wrong? And the mom gets up and. She walks to her closet. And she opens up the closet and there's all these dresses hanging up there. And she goes, son, I have enough dresses for the rest of my life. It's not a dress that I want. It's that I want you. I want to spend time with you. Friends, that's what God desires. He desires that you and I experience the fullness of life in the midst of the busyness and the chaos going around us. Desiring and actually spending time with the living God. And friends, when we make that choice, it is the good part. And it shall not be taken away from us. What will you do? We cannot let much activity keep us from what is most important. Let's pray. Lord, You know where we're at. And I would imagine that there's quite a few folks who have come here today running on fumes, running on empty. Not even sure how they're going to make it through this next week. And yet, Lord, you have called us to yourself. And so perhaps we could take Martha's name out and put our name in. Grant, Grant, what are you doing? Mary has chosen the good part. There's so many of us that could say that we are distracted. We are being pulled apart. We are worried and bothered about so many things. And yet you invite us to cast all our anxiety upon you because you love us and you care for us. And so, Father, I ask right now for the one or the people that are here today who have never placed their faith in you. Would right now they walk away from their sin, turn to the Savior, cast all their hope and trust and faith upon him. And experience salvation. And for those of us who truly do know you, Lord, Lord, fill us with your heart and your presence and your hope. I pray that the good part would be our priority in this life. Lord, make it so. We don't want to let be barely living. There's a difference between living and living well. And we want to live well in your grace. So we remember this passage. By your Holy Spirit, 
Lord, put this into play in our life that we might experience the rest that comes from you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship him. We want to rest at his feet. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet.